Lord Jesus, as we have been praying, we continue to pray. Would you come and make your presence known among us? May your people hear your voice. Lord, may we experience your presence and be changed by it, I pray. So come and have your way with this time. May your kingdom come, may your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, you guys, you, with some of your sharing and stuff like that, like you couldn't have set up this message better. So thank you. For those that I was texting beforehand and telling you what to say at the microphone, you did it perfectly. Um, last week, Brian shared with us, just talking about Advent and uh, how Advent brings, like it points us towards the hope that we have in Christ. But he, he played a video um, by the Bible Project that was really informative and it shared how in the original language, the word that we read hope, there was actually two different words and, and it was all about this tension that hope brings up. It, the words literally had to do with like a rope being pulled tight. He brought up the imagery of like a tug of war and how that, that rope is under tension. And this is the imagery uh, that, that God used to talk to us about hope. Hope exists in this tension of what we hope for and the not yet that we live in. Our current situation, our current circumstances kind of juxtaposed against the hope and the promises of God. And Christmas is actually this time of tension because we continually point towards the hope that we don't always yet see, that we don't always yet live in. As you guys were coming and sharing, you were talking about this tension, the, the ups and the downs and the things to be excited about and the things that you're going, oh man, what, what do I do with this? How do I move forward in this? And there's this tension Far too often what we try to do at Christmas time is we just try to relieve the tension and go, just be happy. Just smile. Just sing the songs and everyone has to wear your Christmas best and just come in and be happy all the time. Even though really on the inside, we know it's not true. I know it's not true for me and if I'm honest, I know it's not true for you. But far too often this is kind of our answer is just solve the tension. Just smile and say the right answers but the truth is, most of us at Christmas time especially live in this tension. We talk about things that, man, when Jesus came to earth, and, and we'll talk about what it means, and we go, wow, that is so good, but my life is still broken. We, we can point to the things, that, the reason for our hope, the foundation for our hope, but yet this is that time of year when I remember all of those who I've lost because they're not at the Christmas table. Because they started this tradition and they're not here anymore. Or, or some of the regrets of this past year start to come up. And we think about, oh man, I, what, what have I done? How did I get myself in this? And, and on and on it goes. But yet this is a time to focus on the hope that we've been given. Christmas is, is a time of great tension. Listen, I'm not trying to blame Christmas. You guys know me and I'm a Scrooge. And I could very easily just go, it's Christmas's problem. We should just quit it. But it wouldn't make any of the issues go away. It's not like this is the only time we deal with this. This is a time when we really put that hope up on a pedestal and remember where our hope comes from, which, praise God, I'm not suggesting we stop doing. But by doing that, it also highlights the areas of our life where that hope hasn't been fulfilled yet. Does that make sense, church? This isn't a new thing. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we started looking at the story of Mary and Joseph. Remember, we, we didn't really look at Mary and Joseph. We were looking at Bethlehem. 
and all of the chaos that was happening in the first Christmas, I want to go back to that time and I want to look at Mary and Joseph specifically at the tension that they found themselves having to manage. The first Christmas for Joseph and Mary wasn't just a heel clicking good time, everything was going so great. They were having to figure out some of the same things that we're dealing with today. Different circumstance, but some of the same feelings that we have to manage today. I, w- I want to start by looking at the story of Joseph. Uh, we're going to look in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ came about in this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Real quick, you you notice they kind of switched some words around. Wait, they were engaged, but husband, what? Engagement didn't look like it does today, where it's kind of just this promise between you and me and a text can end it kind of thing. Not that... Don't ever break up with anyone over text, but certainly end an engagement. But now it's just this very personal between you and me thing. There it was a very legal thing. To be engaged was a legal process. And actually, to break an engagement, you had to get a writ of divorce. Like, it was very legal uh, in the way that they went about it. And so Mary and Joseph are engaged. I, I honestly can't even really describe to you the difference between engagement and marriage in those days, except... They couldn't, it will later say, know each other intimately. Most of the kids have left, so we'll just leave it at that. Um, but, so we find Joseph engaged, all but married to Mary, and all of a sudden, you know, he, he's pretty new at this, but I think he knows how babies are made, and I think he would have remembered being there. And so when Mary comes, pregnant, not by him, let me ask you this, if you're Joseph, how are you feeling? What, what assumptions are you making at this time? She was sleeping around with another guy, okay? How are you feeling? Betrayed? Embarrassed? You better believe it. Angry? Okay. Scared, nervous, what, what does this mean? What's, what's the right thing to do? What else? Yeah, if I'm Joseph, forget Mary, okay? Like, let's just be clear. Kim, take notes. Like, forget all that noise. Like, yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's be real. We're vengeful people, right? Naturally. Oh, oh, you're going to do me like that. What, what recourse did Joseph have? Like, what could Joseph have done? We see that Joseph decided, hey, let's just handle this thing secretly because it says he was a righteous man. What could Joseph have done? Okay, exposed her. Could, like, literally had her stoned to death. Like, that was, the, that's, that was actually the quote-unquote proper way to handle adultery in those days. Like, her own family probably would have picked up rocks and started throwing them. Joseph could have gotten even, uh, and then some. He could have exposed her. He could have disgraced her. He didn't have to have her stoned. But what happens to a woman back then who has a child out of wedlock, who's an adulteress? What are her future prospects? No one's coming near her. She lives like a widower the rest of her life. No one to care for her. 
No one certainly to watch after her child, all of this stuff. But Joseph was a righteous man. And so instead of doing some of the things that I certainly naturally would have been tempted to do, it says that he decides to divorce her secretly, not to publicly shame her, certainly not to harm her in any way, but at the same time, Joseph is still getting out of Dodge. I don't want to deal with this mess. Kind of a, look, you got yourself into this, you get yourself out. I'm not going to make it worse, but I'm also not sticking around for this. Like, can you imagine the hurt, the betrayal, and I'm sure the anger that he felt. He still chose to handle it in a way more righteous than me. But how he would have felt in that time. The passage goes on. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her and did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. So Joseph went to bed probably feeling hurt, disgraced, betrayed, angry, lied to. The Lord's angel shows up and kind of flips the script. Mary hasn't done a thing wrong. This is actually the Lord's doing. The Lord is working something out through Mary. This baby, like, I mean, it has to be an angel in a dream that says, this baby's been conceived by the Holy Spirit for Joseph to go, yeah, that makes sense. Let's go with that, right? Like, the Lord shows up in a powerful way and convinces Joseph, this is not Mary's fault. Mary's done nothing wrong. Continue, take her as your wife because this is the Lord's doing. But let me ask you this question. What might Joseph be feeling now? So before it was anger and betrayal. How could Mary do this to me? Now the Lord shows up and goes, no, 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 this is my doing. No, no, Mary wasn't being sinful. She wasn't being unfaithful. But now Mary, this already pregnant woman, bring her home to your family. How might Joseph be feeling now? This kind of says it all. Okay, God. <laughs> like, what, what are we doing? How might Joseph be feeling? Math? Okay. <laughs> you guys are very descriptive, and I love this game that we're playing. There may have, there was probably that aha moment. Oh, it wasn't Mary. Right. We fill in the blanks here, people. Yeah, Joseph was a quiet guy. There was a lot of just, ah. But I'm sure there would have been that, like, oh, she wasn't lying to me. This, it starts to make a little bit of sense. I mean, as much as the immaculate conception can make sense. But, like, oh, okay, God is at work here. Does that solve all of his problems? Right. 
God, God, this would have made a lot more sense if you just waited a year. Like, wouldn't, wouldn't it have made a lot more sense then? Obviously, God knows what he's doing. But yeah, Joseph very well could have been going, hey, God, I have some notes. Like, obviously, you've already moved, and hey, that's fine. But like, you could have done it this way. huge faith step for Joseph because, yeah, man, you had this crazy dream in the angel and it felt so real, but at the same time, in the light of day, you're still going, okay, she's never had sex, but she's pregnant. The Holy Spirit's never done anything like this before, but he chose right now to do it to my fiance. Like, there would be that doubt coming in and, and he would have to continually choose faith. Lord, I, I don't know how this works. We've never seen it before, but like, oh, okay, I trust you. What else? <laughs> a little heads up would have been nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I sleep every night. We could have had this dream like a couple months ago. Yeah. Okay. Right? Right. I didn't even believe her. Unless the Lord's going to go around to everyone we know and give them a dream where an angel, like, no one's really going to believe me. Yeah. You guys think blended families are hard. Try raising the Messiah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You ever lose your temper and yell at Jesus as I, like, okay, so there would have been this really scary sense of responsibility. Because this isn't just something God's doing to Mary. Now he's telling me to marry her. And, and this is now our family moving forward in this. There would have been huge trepidation and fear. Would no one have asked what's everyone else going to think? There would have been this shame, this label of shame. Because now, again, no one else is probably going to believe it. So not only is Mary pregnant while unwed, Joseph is a patsy enough to marry her? Oh, we thought he was respectable. We thought he was a righteous guy. But apparently, Joseph's true colors are shining through. Like, this would have been what started to spread around town. Oh, and good news, uh, in the next chapter, Joseph, there's a census, and you have to take her home to meet mom. Like, and she's still pregnant, and mom can do math. She was at your wedding, you know? Like, you start to see, like... The angel showing up and telling Joseph, hey, here's what's going on, it didn't resolve the tension. It didn't just magically make everything okay. Like Kim said, oftentimes we picture more the cute little nativity scene figures who just have no real emotions. God said, I'm showing up and doing this thing, and they went, awesome. They were real people. They, before the angel showed up, there was betrayal, there was hurt, there was, how do I handle this in a righteous way, and it, it, he would have been torn on it. Then the angel shows up and he goes, cool, totally different set of problems, but I still have problems. It didn't resolve the tension. It didn't make it go away. But there was an incredible promise attached to what God was doing. Matthew brings up Isaiah 7.14. 
where it says, See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And everyone, every, every Hebrew man and woman at this time would have thought two chapters later to the promise in Isaiah, it says, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will accomplish this. Amen. These promises, like Joseph would have known these, and he, these would have been the only things that he had to hold on to every time there was a sideways glance in the street. Every time he and Mary were walking down the street and somebody kind of gave him a wide berth, because we don't want to get anywhere near sinful people like you. All that he had to hold on to in those times, it, again, the angel didn't go to everybody else and put them wise to this whole situation. They had to endure the difficulty, but what gave them the strength was the promise of Emmanuel. God is with you. And actually, in a way that God has never been with anyone before, God is with you. Joseph, your life is going to get a lot harder. And the only thing the angel tells him is, but don't worry, God is with you. Your life is going to get harder, and actually the angel says, and God's doing it to you. Like, this wasn't even something that God just passively allowed to happen. God is actually doing this, and we know that it's for good long term, but what God's doing is actually making things harder for you now. But there's a promise attached that he is with you in the midst of it. Let's look at Mary's side. Over in Luke chapter 1, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth was Mary's cousin, and she was super old and shouldn't have been able to have a baby, but like God did his miraculous thing as a way to kind of go, see, I'm at work. So in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Did you ever catch that before? An angel of the Lord comes and says, Greetings, you are so highly favored by God. And Mary goes, What do you want? Why would you say it like that? Like, what's, what's happening here? You can start to see some of the tension. Like, don't get me wrong, an angel shows up. I'm terrified already. They're glowing and who knows what else. But like, she was greatly troubled at his words. There's this suspicion. What, what are you doing? What's about to happen to me? But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born to you will be called the Son of God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. I love Mary's faithful answer. I, I love that ultimately Mary's response was, may it be to me as you say. 
I am the Lord's servant. I trust him. But this didn't make the realities of her situation go away. She still had to go face Joseph and tell him, hey, I'm pregnant, but God did it. She still has the realities that come along with an unwed teenage pregnancy, especially back in that day. She still knew the hardships that were coming her way that God placed on her, but she also knew the promise. God will be with you. In fact, God will be in you. And it was enough for Mary. Mary was able to, in that moment, with the promise of the Holy One inside of her, to say, may it be to me as the Lord wills. I am the Lord's servant. But they had to live in the tension of hardship now and fulfilled promises of God in the future. That whole thing, Emmanuel, God with us, and again, they would have thought to those promises in Isaiah of his kingdom and his rule, but babies don't rule. At best, we're talking a 20-year wait. We know now 30 years until Jesus began his ministry, but think of the in-between. It didn't solve all the hardships. It didn't all just go away. They would have had as a family this stigma the rest of their lives. But they held on to the promise. I know that God is moving. I know that God will fulfill his word. I know that God is with us, even in the midst of the hardships. Do you see this tension that they had to walk in? The tension between their hope and their circumstances. They couldn't always see God's plan. We don't have anywhere that the angel just continually showed up and gave them daily reports. Here's what God is up to. Here's what's coming tomorrow. They couldn't see the plan. They couldn't always see the way forward. They couldn't always see how God was going to fulfill his promises. But they had the promise of Emmanuel. God is with us. That was enough to sustain them through this years-long journey. And don't get me wrong, I'm sure raising Jesus himself was pretty cool. I'm sure that God was, was gracious in the midst of this to give them other blessings. And, and man, like, you know, as a four-year-old, as a, as a one-year-old, what would Jesus' first words have been? I hope someone wrote that down somewhere. You know, like, it would have been super cool. What is it? He treasured them up in her heart. Whatever it was, Mary treasured them in her heart. Yes. But all that they had to carry them through the difficult days was the promise that God is with us and he's working. This is the reason why Christmas is still good news today. Christmas is way more, and you, you'll hear me say this again and again and again, it's way more than just a cute story that we tell. It's way more than about, oh, a little baby in a manger. Like, it's way more than about traditions that we have. The birth of Jesus was the beginning of a completely new way for God to deal with his people. The, the biblical word for this is a new covenant, a completely new set of promises. The writer of Hebrews says better than anything the old covenant could have promised, a completely new way of relating to God. You see, up until then, God was always somewhere over there. Like God was everywhere in the sense that like he's bigger than anything we can imagine, but the presence of God was always somewhere over there. In fact, it was in Jerusalem. 
I'm sure they had an address for it, One Temple Lane, you know, over in Jerusalem. And you'd get into town and you'd go, hey, where does God live? And they would just go, look, it's the big building. Like, just go over there. He had an address. And if you wanted to be near to God, you had to go to where he was. There were very specific laws and rituals that you had to perform to get even through the gate. You had to have the right sacrifices. You had to be ritually clean. You had to be Jewish. None of us would even be allowed in the front door. There was supposed to be this one kind of courtyard where we could go, but that's where they were selling stuff. We couldn't even have made it through the front door. For those that could, for the Jewish people, as long as you jumped through all the right hoops, you were allowed in. You, you could be closer to God. But there was always this problem. No matter how good you were, you still couldn't be in his presence. You see, the way the temple was set up is there was these outer courts where people could go and hang out and, and just kind of be near God, be like around what God was doing. But then anything in the temple, there was only the priests. They were the only ones who were allowed to go in there. But even within there, there was this one room called the Holy of Holies that no one could enter. It was the throne room of God back when God's presence dwelt in the temple. One guy was allowed in one day a year. And it wasn't this, man, I just get to go be with God. It was this groveling on the day of atonement where he'd bring the sacrifice and he would go, I'm so sorry for everything my people have done this year. I'm so sorry for all of the sins that we have piled up. It was such a terrifying scene for that one guy once a year that they actually tied a rope around his ankle and put bells on the bottom of his robe because if they stopped hearing jingling, that means he did something wrong and he was struck dead and they would have to just pull him on out. To be in the presence of God, to say God is with me was an unheard of thing until this point. At Christmas, we remember God moving from far off to God moving among us. The Christmas story is the story of a God who couldn't stand to be separated from his people, so he moved in among his people. John 1.14, my favorite telling of the Christmas story, says it like this, the word became flesh. John makes it clear earlier in the chapter, the word is what he's calling Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. That word dwelt among us. In the Old Testament, it's the word tabernacle. Do you guys know what the tabernacle is? It was kind of the big tent that they would build for God to live in while Israel was wandering around. Here was the thing about the tabernacle. It was always in the center of the people. Wherever the people went, the tabernacle went. Wherever the tabernacle went, the people went. It was God's way of kind of dwelling among his people. None of them could still go inside. And so now John is going, God decided to do us one better, and he was going to come tabernacle among us, but he was going to put flesh on and actually come and walk the same streets as us, eat the same food as us, breathe the same air. He was actually going to come in flesh and teach us and be with us. And we could see his face when he was telling us something, and we could see how our sin broke his heart, and we could see how excited he was for what the Father was doing. He was going to come and tabernacle among us. Eugene Peterson 
in his uh, paraphrase of the Bible, the message, he says that the word put on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. God could not stand being far off anymore. His desire was to be so close to us that having an address we could visit a couple times a year wasn't enough. He said, I'm coming to where you are. I'm moving into your neighborhood. No longer a, a pristine, distant God over there that we need to attempt to clean ourselves up for so that we can get even close to him. Instead, God moved toward us and came to live in the mud with us. It was no longer the imperfect trying imperfectly to move toward the perfect, but instead the perfect moving toward the imperfect. Do you hear the humility of it? That God would, I think this is a cool word, that God would condescend to come and live with us. To condescend is to be like, to kind of like go below like where your value is, your station, you know what I mean? Like that you hang out with those people you condescend to be with them, that God would condescend to be with us. What love must have driven this? What compassion must he had that the perfect, holy, righteous God was so moved to allow himself to be born into a sin-stained world, into a flawed world, even to be born into a barn, we use the word manger because it sounds better than a cow's feeding trough, but like knowing that this would be the entrance of a king, this is what he chose because he could not stand to be distant from us. He was tired of Emmanuel being a promise for someday in the future. And so Christmas is the realization of Emmanuel, God coming and dwelling among us, putting on flesh and being with us. What love must have driven him to this? But listen, here's the cool part. Christmas isn't just a reminder of what God did back then. We don't just look at Christmas and go, yeah, so it would have been, we know it really wasn't in December. It was probably sometime like in the spring. And there was that one particular day when he entered and he was here for 33 years, right? And then he left. We, we don't just look back and go, man, 2,000 years ago, great job, God. He has continued to be with us. Christmas is a reminder that God is still moving towards us. Emmanuel continues today because, listen, living among us wasn't even enough. He had to get closer. Putting on flesh and walking beside us was never his ultimate goal. It, it was the first step in his plan. Coming as a babe, like, man, what a cool story. But it was the first step. First, I have to come and be among you. But his goal was always something far greater. The Christmas story is the story of God moving from afar to among and ultimately to within. The, the story of Jesus' life, very quickly put, is God leaves heaven behind, puts on flesh, walks in this fallen, sinful world with us. We know ultimately dies to pay for our sin. Why? because none of that was close enough. He always wanted closer. Walking beside you, sitting and eating with you, being the teacher that you come to hear is not close enough. I don't want to be beside you. I want to be within you. When we talk about God with us now, we don't mean standing next to us 
or where's Jesus traveling right now? We can go see him, but he is within us. This is truly the miracle of Christmas. Christmas is that first step. God's ultimate goal is to be what he calls closer than a brother. Emmanuel, God with us in a way that couldn't even be fathomed when he walked on earth. When he told his disciples, you know, I'm going to leave you because something even better is coming. He said, I have to leave. This, this flesh body has to leave so that my spirit can come. They couldn't grasp it. How can anything be better than you walking beside us? And he said, just wait. And ever since, he has been living in the hearts of his people. This is the hope of Christmas. Emmanuel, God within us. We started off this morning talking about the tension that, that Joseph and Mary carried, the tension between their current difficulties and their God-given hope for the future. They couldn't always see his plan. They couldn't always see a way forward. They couldn't always see how God was fulfilling his promises. But the one thing they could hold on to was Emmanuel, God with us. We today are in a very similar situation. What some of you were coming and sharing earlier, the tension that we live in, we can't always see God's plan. He didn't always tell us beforehand, here's what I'm doing. We can't always see the way forward. I'm, I'm in a spot right now where some changes in life and trying to think through some things and going, God, I don't, I don't honestly know what the right steps are to take. I don't know what the way forward is. We can't always see how he's going to fulfill his promises. How are you going to use this for good? How are you going to use this hurt and this pain in my life for my good? Romans 8, 28, God uses all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I don't know how he's going to use some of the things going on in life right now. I can't see it. But here is where my hope comes from. You are with me. And you always will be. If you left heaven behind to come and put on flesh, man, how much closer now? How much more does he want to do now? I don't know what the next step is. I don't know what the end looks like, but I know that he is with me, and so I can continue in hope. I can continue to look forward to what my God will do next, even if it hurts today, because God is with me. He never fails. He never runs out of resources. He never runs out of strength. He never gets caught unaware. God is with me. Even when I can't see, he can. And his presence with me becomes my guiding light. The same love that caused Jesus to leave heaven behind and to come to earth as a baby drove him to move even closer, to move into our hearts, and he has not stopped moving towards us ever since. He has been calling us deeper. He has been, he's been trying to dwell in us more and more and more as we walk with him. His desire is always closer if we will let him, if we will trust him. In these days of, of tension, in these days when we don't know exactly what's happening or exactly what the future holds, what we can know, the promise we can always cling to, is that he is with me. And if he is with me, read Romans chapter 8 sometime, there is nothing that can come against me. Height, depths, angels, demons, future, past, present, 
What can come against me if the Lord is for me? He is with us and he is for us. We have to hold on to this promise in the midst of tension, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of of loss and of stress and anxiety. We have to hold on to this tension, his promise that he is with us through it all and that he is always working for our good. So I'm going to close this time by coming to the communion table this morning, the ultimate reminder of God being with us. For, For him to move into the neighborhood was not free. It had an incredible cost. Him coming to you cost him everything. And hear this, because he said, you're worth everything. If that doesn't boggle your mind sometimes, why would you, why would you do that for me? After what I've done, after what I've said, after what I've just thought and nobody else even saw, why would you do that for me? Because his goal has always been to be God within you. And it's by his death and resurrection that he's achieved it. So this morning as we, as we come and we remember our God with us, as the bread touches your lips, as you taste the grape juice, may it be a reminder the price he paid to be with us. And may we celebrate. May it give us strength and hope and encouragement. Whatever you're facing, his desire is to be with you. Before we come to the communion table, I always want to give us an opportunity to reflect and to allow the Lord to speak to our hearts. The one thing that will hold God at arm's length every single time is our sin. It's not the only thing. There are times when God just feels distant, when, when the way feels muddy, but sin guarantees to put, to put a barrier up between us and God. And so I always want to give a time before we come and remember Emmanuel, God with us, to say, Lord, is there any area in my life where I'm holding you at arm's length? And listen, uh, I'm not sure what you've heard before at different churches or, or in your past. You don't have to go hunting for things to feel convicted about. That's the Holy Spirit's job. It's simply our job to go, Lord, is there anything between us? And if he doesn't bring something to mind, praise God. Come rejoice and take communion. If he does bring something to mind, his desire is that you repent, that you ask forgiveness and you move back toward him. He is always waiting and willing to receive you back. He is God with you. It's a name he gave himself. So let's take a moment and just ask him, Lord, are there areas in my life where I'm I'm holding you at arm's length, where I'm choosing to hold on to sin? And if so, then listen, it can be really powerful to just open your hands before him. God, I I release that area of my life to you. I, I, I trust you with that area of my life. And in repentance, just invite him in. And then in a moment, I'll ask the music team to come up and we'll sing as we come and take communion.